In a world where a man loves movies and loves lists and keeps a list of his 100 favorite movies for over 30 years, what if he made his wife watch those movies in order? And what if he made her talk about it on a podcast? Would she like them? Would she hate them? Can this marriage possibly survive this podcast? Find out what will happen in a world called Craig's List. Hey, I'm Craig. Hi, I'm, I'm Carla. Hi, you, Craig. Hey, nice to meet you. Do you do a lot of these podcasts or? I don't think so, but I have like this weird feeling like. I don't know. You've done a podcast yeah, before. But no, yeah, no. Like talking about I movies or remember. I don't have any memory of it. No, neither do I. That's strange. Um Well uh, today we're gonna talk about Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Have you seen that? Hmm, I think that's an uh Alexander Pope quote. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, what a reference. Yeah. yeah I just, Pope Alexander, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, don't say Pope Alexander. Yeah. And then I didn't. Wow. Because I'm smart. Can I just say that I really feel like I'm connecting with you? Like, this is. It's really nice. I, I'm just really looking forward to doing this podcast episode with you. I mean, we've never done one. I mean, before, you say that but... now, but then we'll hang out and you'll be like, oh, you're so annoying. You're driving me crazy. I Why just would want I you to say know that, that like, I think you're magical and wonderful. I'm my own person. Okay. okay. And I'm sure. not here to like make you happy or whatever. <laughs> I forgot how don't, that went. Don't, <laughs> don't worry, Craig's listeners. We have not had our memories erased. Uh, Carla and I remember every episode of this podcast. This is Craig's List. And uh, we're here to talk about some movies. And just as we promised in that uh, semi-improvised segment, uh, we are talking about Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, a 2004 Michelle Gondry film. And we are lucky, lucky <laughs> to have not just one, but two guests today. They are a married couple, and they are Rishikesh and Lindsay Hirway, and they are, and we are here in Rishi's studio, uh, and uh, we're going to talk about the movie, and the movie is fresh in our minds. We literally just watched the movie, mm-hmm. and so our opinions are, are fresh and just raring to go. Say hi, guys. Hey. Hi. <laughs> I think that's the first time that we've ever been introduced as Rishikesh and Lindsay Hirway. <laughs> What, besides, besides when we got married, <laughs> do you, maybe, uh, maybe do you keep your your uh, maiden name? I I ended up changing my I didn't keep my maiden name, but I changed it so that it was my middle name, oh. so that there was like still like so then I wouldn't be really weird. Or I wouldn't feel weird when I was working. Like yeah. I was like I could still kind of use it and get by. She still uses it professionally. Yeah, yeah. Because so yeah. I was a little freaked out about totally changing my name. Right. You became Carla Kukowski instantly. I, I tried to keep Snowden as my middle name, and they messed up the paperwork at the thing. <laughs> that I was going to do the same oh my thing, gosh. where it was Carla Snowden Kukowski. Is that what you're saying you did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, and they didn't do it? No, they because um, there was a line for your previous name, and it was Carla Ann Snowden, so they put Carla Ann Kukowski. Oh. So I lost it. Oh Part of you was God. erased. <laughs> <laughs> what? Thematic. It's so true. Yeah. We've all seen this movie before, correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, how 
How many times have you seen it? I think this is either the third or fourth time I've seen it. Okay. And Lindsay, for you? I've only saw it once before, and I think it was after Rishi and I were together um, at his insistence, because I had never seen it, and I think he was like, this is an important movie. You need to watch this. (laughs) (laughs) So you didn't see it when it first came out in in 04. Okay. I think this might be my third time. I think I saw, saw it then with you, and I think I saw it in the theater, and then tonight. Okay. I've seen it three times as well. Yep. This is maybe five for me, mm-hmm. I think. Because, of course, as you know, Craigslist, any movie I have to have seen at least three times for it to make the list in the, the first place. That? I don't know. Those, those are the qualifications. It can't go on the list after one viewing right. people. It needs to sink in a little bit. And sometimes you're, uh, and sometimes a movie sneaks up on you after a while. And sometimes a movie you have a great first impression and then it doesn't hold up <laughs> on subsequent viewings. And this is a movie that I think gets better every time I see it because you appreciate how much craft and detail went into it uh let's uh let's just go around with some gut feelings on this movie after having just seen it 15 minutes ago uh it really holds up i think i liked it actually more this viewing than ever before uh all the pieces came together for me having seen the movie so it was easier to figure out where they were in the story because they mix the time timeline up so much. But a few things that I noticed, uh, I'll say them. Yes. Right uh, he does. And whoever, I guess Michelle Gondry does a great job of tracking the timeline through her hair and through hit and through Jim Carrey's dots on the side of his forehead mm-hmm. that they, uh, mark on him to, do you know what I'm talking about? No, mm-hmm. I didn't yeah. notice that at all. Yeah, so when he goes in to get the procedure done, they put the oh, right. the dots on his forehead, and so you can track where where he is in his timeline if they're still there or not, which I thought was really interesting. I definitely knew that present day Clementine is blue hair. Like that's that's the best way of, of tracking that. But yeah. And just to go one step further, they do such a good job that as Jim Carrey is going back through and erasing her from his memory, her roots match up to where they would be. Like when she dyed her hair, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a really cool detail that I did not notice before. And those are all wigs, by the way, on Kate Winslet. Oh, so really? I guess they're doing wigs with varying degree of oh. of highlights, right? Are you sure? Maybe. I don't know. It didn't look like a wig. I didn't think so There was either. only one time that looked like a wig. The red hair and, and a couple shots looked like a wig. Okay. Oh, okay. But the blue I thought was pretty. Yeah. And, and the. The green. Maybe that's the real deal then. We got to find out. Okay. We'll look it up. <laughs> we'll do some wig, <laughs> we'll tweet wig research. Uh, Lindsay got response seeing it the second time. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think the first time around, I, I wasn't really that into it. Like I was like, okay, but I didn't really, like, you never it told me this. <laughs> well, I think I knew, I knew that you loved it. And so I think I probably kept a lot of that to myself. <laughs> but, but now on the, on the second viewing, and maybe this is after having, you know, my, I think my, my tastes and, and movies have probably changed over the years. Um, right. Cause you were just a baby full I, of hope and true. you didn't have any bitterness when you saw <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> with my life experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, I like even, or even just the production value I really appreciated mm-hmm. now in a way that I didn't on the first viewing. Like that, like before the credits says first 17 minutes. Oh my gosh. So I was crazy. like, this is really, be- this is beautifully done. Yeah. Um, 
and yeah, I don't think, and I think on the second viewing, I picked up on a lot of things. Like, I think the first time around, I was kind of confused, like, just like keeping up with the timeline and everything was hard. And now, but on second viewing, I was like, remembering, connecting more dots. Totally. So I, now it's like, I really appreciated the, the way the story was told. Yeah. I think it is a movie you have to see multiple times to even get what yeah. they're doing with, with the timeline because it is very disjointing the, the first time you see it. Uh, now having seen it as many times as I have and I kind of know it, I'm like, oh, it's totally clear the, the whole way, but, <laughs> but I can see how it could be disorienting. Uh, early on, and I think it was certainly the first time for me that I too. Saw it. And, yeah, I and that. intentionally so because the whole pre-credit sequence is uh, last chronologically because this is them re-meeting on the the train to Montauk after uh, having already been in a relationship together and having their memories uh, erased. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then immediately after the titles, then he goes to of like, oh, Clementine's uh, breaking up with me, and you think that that's just chronologically following when it is. Ahead of time. Yeah, that it's maybe a year, a year has passed and now it's the following Valentine's Day. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Rishi, what are your gut responses this time? I still love it. Yeah. I mean, I haven't <laughs> seen the movie in a, in a while, but, but I own the DVD. It's one of those things where, uh, you, I, I bought it because I, I loved it so much, but then it becomes just a thing in your library, not something yeah. that, you, and you're like, <laughs> I'm going to watch it all the time. And, yeah. But for me, the sure, a surefire way to not watch a movie is to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> because once I own it, then I'm like, I can watch it anytime. Right. Yes. And then I never have any, um, pressure to watch it and then I don't watch it. But I, I really love this movie. And well, not I, to mention we have no way of playing DVDs. That's true. Well, we, yeah, we do. It's just, it's unplugged. <laughs> yeah. I brought um, my DVD. You had your DVD. We ended up renting it renting my it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We could have, but then we, we would have to watch it in SD and that's just, Ugh. ugh. That's um, for peasants. Yeah. <laughs> um, I still think this movie is one of my favorite movies ever. It's, um, it's so romantic and so heartbreaking and beautiful and also f- like full of hope. That's mm-hmm. everything. It's everything that I want from a movie because it has all of those feelings. Plus it has like a touch of sci-fi and psychological thriller mm-hmm. all yeah. combined. Reading the Wikipedia entry on it, it's described as a romantic sci-fi comedy drama. (laughs) Well, that's pretty much every genre. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's it's kind of indescribable. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's the only way to kind of do it justice is to bring in elements from every possible genre. Where were you the first time you saw it? In the theater. In the theater? Like, uh, where were you living? I was living here in LA. Oh, okay. Yeah. And did you see by yourself? And did you cry with all your tissues in the corner? Um, I think I saw it with a bunch of friends. Okay. I think we, we saw, I saw it on the Santa Monica promenade with a bunch of friends. It was like an event to go cool. see it. And I just, I, and I remember, uh, like, you know, feeling that post theater kind of glow of just like buzzing with, with, uh, all the feelings, you know, all the, like it puts you through so much. Yeah. And so I was walking, I, I think I remember everybody was kind of talking and I was kind of hanging back a little bit and, um, and just kind of, savoring that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, almost certainly saw it at the Arclight Hollywood because that's where I've seen 90% of movies over the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would have seen it with my girlfriends at the time, mm-hmm. a relationship that did not last, but was a, at times wonderful mm-hmm. and, uh, and times not wonderful relationship. D- uh, did you see it with your boyfriend at the time? I did. Yeah. yeah. And I think it was towards the end of that relationship. So it was like, <laughs> It felt more aggravating 
when I watched it the first time. Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? Because I was kind to of see going a couple through, in crisis. Yeah, yeah, I was going. It didn't feel. But when you're going through that and you see it portrayed, it doesn't necessarily make you feel better. You know, yeah. it just kind of pushes you more in that direction. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. So I think that's why I can enjoy it more now. It's funny because I, I was the first time I had such a different takeaway. Like the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, I thought it was kind of depressing, and I think that's why I didn't. Mm-hmm. I like it. I didn't really like it. But then now my takeaway, I was like, oh, it's very, it was sweet and romantic. Like I have a very different experience of it. This makes so much sense now because there have been uh, times when I've wanted to play. I didn't realize, you know, Lindsay clearly didn't share her true feelings with me about this movie. (laughs) And then there have been times when I've put on um, the Beck cover Mm -hmm. uh, that's featured in the song. And, and I remember putting it on and Lindsay was like, can we put on, can you, put on something else and i was like this is one of the best songs ever and uh, and why and um lindsay said it's just so depressing and i thought oh, what's the depress like I, de- I definitely didn't associate that i mean i think it's sad but it has all these other layers to it you know and like i said like hope and and it's romantic and um and lindsay would kind of be like mm, this song is just depressing and now yeah. i realize yeah. it's because you thought the movie was depressing exactly <laughs> I didn't know that. You hold on to these associations yeah. for a while. Yeah. Everybody's got to learn sometime is the, uh, the song that plays over the, the closing credits. Everybody's got to learn sometime. That was uh, pretty good. Which is a Beck and John <laughs> Bryan cover of a song by the Corgis from 1980 that was a mild, uh, one hit wonder top 40 hit. I believe it peaked at number 18. Uh, <laughs> Okay. Yeah, sorry guys, but uh, you know, I hold on to this information. <laughs> with, an, with a name like the Corgis, how did that how do they not go on forever? And they spelled it with a K too, what? so like not the uh not the Welsh dog. <laughs> uh now Craig's listeners, I'm sure you have seen <laughs> Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, but let me give you a brief synopsis. Uh it concerns a a couple, Joel and Clementine, played by Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet, and uh we see them uh, at various points of their relationship, mostly through Joel's memories of the relationship, because they've, uh, they've hired a company called Lacuna, uh, headed by Tom Wilkinson as the doctor who has invented this technique to wipe your memories clear of, uh, of bad relationships or some kind of, uh, past trauma. There's a suggestion at Lacuna that they cover many sorts of memory erasing, uh, but mostly relationships, uh, possibly, uh, erasing a, a beloved pet from your mind as well, mm-hmm. uh, after their past. But, uh, he's got a, uh, a team of technicians, uh, Mark Ruffalo, Elijah Wood, and, uh, Kirsten Dunst, uh, all work for him and great performances all around. Like mm-hmm. it's such a, uh, a strong cast. Kate Winslet was Oscar nominated for this movie, deservingly so. And who won uh, that year? This is 2004. I want to say that was Hillary Swank for Million Dollar Baby. Was Kate Winslet nominated for Best Actress or Best Supporting For actress? Best Actress. Okay. Lead Actress, yes. Uh, she's amazing in this, I thought. She's really incredible. Yeah. yeah. And I thought Jim Carrey was really great, too. I, I feel like he yeah. reminds me of so many people that we know here in L.A. that I was like, it really resonated. Yeah. I won't name names, but I was like, oh, I know, I know that guy. <laughs> like a depressed middle-aged guy. <laughs> Um, well, he is kind of using, you know, it's the, uh, the sad clown yeah, <laughs> mentality. Yeah. she says. Or no, she says puppy dog eyes or whatever when she gets mad at him. 
Yeah, I, I have to admit that I'm not a big fan of Jim Carrey's comedy, though probably to the degree where I haven't even tried some of his comedies that are very like beloved because I uh, he used to bug me so much on In Living Color. Uh, I just thought he was over the top and uh, constantly like look at me, look at me uh, that I've, I've never seen Ace Ventura. What? Uh, I've never seen The Mask. I've never seen what? Dumb and Dumber, Liar, Liar. Uh, I've seen all of those. Bruce, Bruce Almighty, <laughs> any of those movies. Never seen any of those movies. Though I've generally liked him in dramas or comedy dramas like, yeah. like this. And, and I was really impressed with his performance watching it uh, a second time because he brings just, it is like that sad puppy dog melancholy tone that he does so well. I always associate that with uh his performance here with Adam Sandler's performance in Punch Drunk Love mm. also yes. scored by John Bryan. Oh wow. yes. part of it is the John Bryan connection, but also I think in both cases they were comedians who had made a lot of comedies that I thought were kind of like silly that I didn't really care about. I felt I think I feel the same way as you and then they turned in performances like this and I was like, "Oh, if you make the silly guy sad, it is heartbreaking." Yeah. Yes. That's a great point. And I'm a big fan of Punch Drunk Love as well. And uh, I love Adam Sandler's performance in that. And I think uh, Paul Thomas Anderson kind of taps into this like suppressed rage that Adam Sandler always has yeah. uh, in his performances. Yeah. I, I we'll, we'll talk a little more about the John Bryan score, which uh, I'm sure you have uh, thoughts on. A lot of fondness for. It's, it's really, it's really wonderful. Uh, but can, yeah. Can we break down real quick uh, the different roles that they're playing in this movie yeah well th- that's uh, why i think kate winslet is so impressive because she's she's playing many different clementines yes so she's playing uh the clementine who is sick who's at the end of the relationship and sick to death of her boyfriend then she's playing uh the clementine that we fall in love with in his memory as like he's running around trying to save her and she's just so charming and like trying to help him save her which is a totally different role. Right. Yeah. A fiction, a, an imaginary manifestation of Clementine exactly. that only yeah. exists within yeah. his. Which is sense like all her. her best parts. You yes. Know? It's, like, it's, it's easy to love her because you don't have all the baggage yes. of the other things. And then she's playing the Clementine who has had her memory wiped mm-hmm. and is trying to figure out why she feels so bad. <laughs> and then it's also incredible. she yeah. kind of becomes his uh, conscious. Uh, yeah. at, at conscience at uh, one point and conscious uh, and conscious <laughs> uh, because uh, when he becomes self-aware when he's having his memories wiped and he's talking to Clementine the idealized Clementine from his memory then they start to collaborate right. of how to uh, how to hide these memories from Lacuna and preserve them so she's kind of another representation of, of Joel I just said uh, that there yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> we're on the same page we're totally uh, on the same page uh but what's so great about that is that the audience gets to see why he loves her because we see so much in terms of her just being uh manic and yeah. uh crazy and so in those moments it's like that's the that's the romance that's the love story is him f- falling in love with yeah this manifestation I-, I like that you used manic to describe her because i was thinking about her as manic pixie dream girl yeah uh-huh. and um and I was, uh, when we were taking notes, I wrote manic panic pixie dream girl. <laughs> <Manic> <laughs> um, um, but, but then she, and, and she's kind of 
functioning in this manic pixie dream girl quality for like three quarters of the movie and then she gives a speech to him where she's like look that's not me and you can't do that and like i'm actually a real person and i can't just exist as part of your mind i also have my own mind yeah um which becomes such a great thing but she's even doing it within his memory she's doing it as a part of his mind it's really yeah uh, Yeah. cool it is really cool uh so when we were right before we pressed play there were a bunch of movies underneath this movie remember and it was like uh garden state uh virgin suicides um fight club and i realized after we started watching like all those movies had manic pixie dream girls in them (laughs) they do yeah maybe that was the common theme natalie portman in garden state is one of the most notorious manic pixie dream girls Mm -hmm. uh and Kirsten Dunst in uh, Elizabethtown, I believe, was the, the coin. Yeah. Was the one that coined oh, the phrase. Right. Nathan right. Rabin, the uh, the critic, was the one who came up with it after reviewing Elizabethtown. Everyone had fatigue of the manic pixie dream girl. I th- I think so, but I think you're right that this movie kind of acknowledges uh, that archetype and subverts it and does kind of make her feel like, uh, even though for most of it we just see the idealized. Uh, Joel version of her that she does feel like a real person. Mm-hmm. What do you think of her as a female character? I thought she was great. I mean, I, I kind of hate. I wrote in the, I wrote down in my notes. I was like, in the beginning, the first like half of the movie, I was like, she is terrible. <laughs> yeah. Like I was thinking when she when they first meet on the train, oh, I mean, so which rude. is the second time. Yeah, I was like, this is like my like nightmare scenario when you talk to strangers and then they talk incessantly and then they're like. They're crazy. I was yeah. like, this is my worst nightmare is like yeah. meeting this person or like you engage and then they're like, Oh, okay. You want to engage with me? Look, I'm crazy. And I'm <laughs> going to like, <laughs> you reach out like a two and they come back with a 10. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But, but he finds it charming. Yeah. He so finds funny. it charming and he, he needs it. That was something I thought about his character. I like how they portrayed, I think being an introvert myself, I appreciated that he was, he, he keeps, he refers to himself as boring and like, and I like that, but they hint at this like really strong I- internal world, like with mm-hmm. his journal and his drawings and stuff. Yeah. And I know that they like bring that back with their relationship. And I was like, oh, that's really sweet. I, I appreciated the way they portrayed someone like him, like this quiet guy. Yeah. I like that. They do have instant chemistry on that train ride at the beginning of the movie. And, and you, you just want these crazy kids to get together <laughs> right away. And then you kind of gradually find out of like, oh, they've been together and it didn't work out, you know, but then at the end of the movie, you like, you want them to get together again. And so they, they do bring so much chemistry to it. And in a real way, like the sweetness, but also like the, the little friction. <laughs> That needs to be there in a relationship that that works in in some way the way that they that they don't quite mix. Uh, you you kind of want that as well. I was wondering, like, uh, I would love to go back and read the script because I'm wondering if they scripted out that opening to be that long, or if that was something they found in editing where they're like, oh, it would be cool if we put the you know post relationship, new relationship before the audience knows that they've been in a relationship. I think. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I bet it, I bet it was written that way. Yeah. Because Charlie Kaufman tends to do that, uh, like kind of time shifting stuff mm-hmm. so much. Yeah. Yeah. I, I realized at this point, I haven't even said the name Charlie Kaufman yet. And he's such a, uh, a big part of what makes this movie great. Uh, and just, of course, one of the most inventive, uh, screenwriters that there is, uh, and uh, he had done Being John Malkovich before this. He had done uh, Human Adaptation. Nature. 
and adaptation. Uh, and I, th- and he's done his own movies, uh, Synecdoche, New York and Anomalisa, uh, <laughs> that he's directed off of his own scripts. Uh, but I prefer his collaborations with Spike Jones and Michelle Gondry because, uh, he has such a dark worldview that I think you kind of need the whimsy of those directors to counteract. <laughs> The vinegar of uh, yeah. of Charlie Kaufman. I, I think this is him and Gondry uh, at their best. I yeah. think so too. Uh, he did a great uh, WTF last year when he was promoting Charlie Kaufman. Yeah, Anomalisa. Yeah. yeah, and um, yeah, he's very involved. And I guess those two filmmakers include him, and that's why he likes collaborating with them. And he had a, a real rough experience with George Clooney, right? Because on... he did. Uh, what is that? Confessions of a dangerous, dangerous mind. mind of a dangerous yeah. mind, which is the the script about Chuck Barris, the Gong Show host. Yeah, uh, that was it was played by Sam Rockwell in the movie, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think he pretty much turned in the script and was never involved again. Yeah, and, and he was real pissed about it. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, he's just so inventive and and thinks like nobody else. I I guess this movie was uh, inspired by uh, a friend of Michelle Gondry who got story credit on it and got an Oscar for it as well, (laughs) who just said, uh, I think it would be great if you got a card from a company in the mail that said, uh, this person has erased you from their memory. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and so it kind of started with that basic premise and Michelle Gondry approached Charlie Kaufman with that idea to write a script, uh, around it. And, uh, these three gentlemen won the Oscar for, uh, original screenplay. Because there is so much going on in the film in terms of, uh, you know, the sets and the, every, everything, the, the production value and just how fast it moves. You don't ever really, or maybe I should throw this to you guys. Did you guys ever really question the world or the justification? Did you get lost in like, well, how would that really work? No, I think that, yeah, I definitely that, did. Yeah, I me either. You immediately you're just like, you just go with this. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, it's our world other than the fact that people's memories can exactly, be erased yeah. by this device. Yeah. yeah. And I like, I love how, um, how kind of crummy, uh, Lacuna's offices yes. are. It's not this, you know, it's not Gattaca, <laughs> right. you know, it's not this like glowing, pristine kind of sci-fi building. It's just like this little, uh, sh- you know, yeah. yeah. like a, like it's a, going to a shitty dentist. dentist. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not a nice dentist. And yeah, like a low rent off dentist. Of like 1982 computers. Yeah. The- and they, just seeing when they actually go to his house, I was like, how? Like how? There's no way this is like legal that you could like <laughs> unsupervised or like just mess with people's minds yeah. in that yeah. way. I was like, this is terrifying. <laughs> And he's got just this ridiculous helmet, looks like a spaghetti strainer, you know, yes. straight up like a 50s sci-fi movie. So I think, you know, that that's partially just Charlie Kaufman's little joke of just like, I don't know how this thing works, but it just does, you know, <laughs> yeah. in the same way of like, there's a portal, you know, that allows you to go into John Malkovich's mind for 15 minutes. Right. You know, just, that's just how it works, you know. And then, uh, like, Gael Garcia Bernal has all these, like, little inventions in Science of Sleep mm-hmm. that just work, too, where he can uh, flashback two seconds. Or whatever mm-hmm. send you back in time two seconds. Uh, uh, a bit of trivia: Science of Sleep, our first date. Our first movie. date. Oh, that's one of our our first movies as well. Really? Really? Yeah, it was a really um, it was a really <clears throat> strange set of circumstances where um, Lindsay and I had first had just met. Do you remember this? 
Do you remember watching Science of Sleep? Say yes. <laughs> Say yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's another really, really formative really memory. Really significant, <laughs> really important time for both of us. Um, what had happened was uh, we had met twice so far. Lindsay lived in New York. I lived here. And um, and we, I had visited her in New York the first, you know, I was I was spent a few days with her in New York. That was our first dates. Then I went back again for a few, few more dates. Um, and then I'd played this festival in Canada and then I went to Chicago because I had a week before I went to go play another festival in Michigan. And I asked Lindsay if she, and I stayed with my, my parents who were living in Chicago at the time. Um, so I asked Lindsay if she wanted to fly to Chicago, meet me and I would, and we would drive to this festival together and she could come see me play uh, with my band. Oh, I was going to cool. be um, doing a concert and she could come with me and, you know, they were giving us two passes and like we could stay for the weekend. And then, um, and then I'd drop her off at the airport in Chicago and she'd fly back um, home on Monday. And she said, yes, which I couldn't believe. I was really excited. <laughs> I mean, I was really, this is, this is very early and, and I was crazy in love with her. Um, and, uh, uh, so she said yes, and it was like one of those moments where, like, before she she had said yes, and she had not yet texted me back about something. Like two hours later, and I was in Chicago, and I was freaking out to my best friend. I was like, I don't think she's gonna come. And she hasn't written back, and she was like, Dude, it's been two hours. Chill out. <laughs> um, anyway, you've since learned that I'm really bad at texting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So Lindsay was. We were supposed to come back from the festival in Michigan. And we'd have like a few hours to kill. We were going to have dinner with some friends and then we'd have a few hours because Lindsay had a 5 a.m. flight to go back. Um, but our friend who we were going to stay with, um, my friend, um, ended up having this law, law school exam and, and she was like, it's not going to work out. And so we, we had like seven hours before her flight. It was like 10 p.m. and, and we had to get to the, and so it lasts actually because we had to get there by four. So I asked Lindsay, I had asked Lindsay before, you know, do you want to, you know, we could, you could meet my family if you want. And Lindsay was like, yeah, that's a little too intense. Understandable. Right, right. But so at this, that was before we had spent the weekend together. Then we had this wonderful weekend and then we did, suddenly didn't have any other options. And so I was like, uh, well, I don't know what you want to do between 10 PM and 4 AM, but we could go back, you know, we, like we could go hang out at my, my parents' place for a few, few hours. And, um, and Lindsay said, okay. And then we went and, um, and, and, she met my, my mom and dad who were like basically asleep. Um, they woke up, came in and then, um, my mom who is a little bit, who can be a little bit res reticent. She knew about Lindsay cause I'd been talking about her nonstop. She actually gave Lindsay a hug, which was like shocking to me. <laughs> and then she stayed up with us as we waited for, for Lindsay's, um, flight time. And we ended up watching science of sleep. Wow. Now do you remember that? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting to experience this story for the first time. <laughs> no, I remember all of it except for watching that movie. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> she was sleeping during silent science of sleep. They both they, at one point they both fell asleep. My mom and Lindsay both fell asleep, and I was kind of like, "This is gonna happen." Like, like <laughs> yeah. I am gonna like it's meant to be. Yeah, I ended up asking Lindsay to marry me um, a few weeks later. Really? Wow. So wait, how long did you guys date? Before, before, so we we our first date was on September eleventh, two thousand seven, and then we got engaged October twenty seventh, two thousand seven. <gasps> That's like six weeks. That's long. amazing. How romantic! It took us about six years. Yeah, six years of dating, and uh, <laughs> but it started with science of sleep. It started with science of sleep. Yeah, that, weird. That's so cool. I know. 
That is the movie that brings people together. <laughs> so if you're out there listening and you're just in love with someone. You can be watching or sleeping through it. <laughs> yes. <sometimes. laughs> we had a dinner date already. We had made out already. But this was our first movie time date. going to a movie together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's, Had you already been... Had you already been, you know, curating your your list? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and did you know about the list at that point yet? I don't think so. No. When did I drop in the list as part of my seduction uh, I technique? Don't remember <laughs> because because you wouldn't n- yet know how significant right, it really was to go to a movie. Yeah. I mean, like for some people, you can be like, oh, go to a movie. Yeah. But when you're on a date with Craig to go see a movie, it's like yeah. a lot of pressure. On it immediately movie. is being placed somewhere <laughs> in a continuum. Yeah, in my mind, of like. I think that's number two for the year so far. (laughs) I'll have to see it four more times before I really (laughs) know, but you were there with me at the beginning. (laughs) Yeah, Science of Sleep uh, was Michelle Gondry's follow-up to this, and it's a wonderful movie as well. Not quite on the top 100, but a very good movie. And Your top 100. uh, My top 100. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we showed it at our wedding because our wedding was at, uh, it's now called Cine Family, but at the silent movie theater on Fairfax. And so there is a big screen there and they told us you can bring a DVD and show whatever you want. And we decided to run Science of Sleep uh, on silent just because of the the connection that we had with it. The silence of sleep. Yes, the silence. And... (laughs) Uh, I, I, I saw that. <laughs> it was just rolled eyes. <laughs> I, I almost said it about three times, so. <laughs> We're all thinking it. Um, but you said it, Rishi. Uh, <laughs> but it's, I'm, I'm a big sucker for dream logic, uh, in general. And, uh, I, I think back to eternal, eternal sunshine, the memories certainly have a dreamlike mm-hmm. feeling and, uh, do you guys want to talk about some of your favorite Im- favorite imagery in the movie? Because there's so many memorable and iconic images that yeah. he serves up as Joel is being shuttled back and forth between these various memories of uh, his relationship with Clementine. Something I noticed this time, too, was the sounds um, were very effective. Mm-hmm. He was playing like lines that had been said at different parts in the movie as the memories were going away, even if it had nothing to do with the scene, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, I think... It- Watching the, if you were watching this movie for the first time, there is a big section right after the opening titles when, when things are really getting going and, and memories are getting erased where it is just chaos. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If, if you don't know what's like, like again, I, like you said, I can watch it now and I, I know what all those different pieces and what those dial, what those snippets of dialogue actually mm-hmm. are referring to. But there are parts where it's just layered dialogue and, and inter, intercut images. Yeah. And, and, uh, you could just easily get lost, which I think is really effective, but there's also something really nice about seeing it a second time and being able to like sort out those pieces. Yeah. Because it takes a while before they reveal, uh, Mark Ruffalo and Elijah Wood in the apartment erasing the memories because he has a little like interaction with his neighbor as he's getting his mail and just like, Hey, what's going on with you and Clementine? And that's the first memory that gets erased because they're going in reverse order, mm-hmm. uh, chronologically. And so they kind of replay that scene, but you're like, what did we just see that? Like what's going on? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really neat. Uh, I think my favorite image is them on the ice the first time. No. Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't know. They do it the a few first, times. The first time it appears in the movie or the first time it appears in their story. Uh, good in question. the, in the prologue, I think, because yes, that's, that's when right. you see them kind of lying on the ice with a huge crack. 
Well, it's the best metaphor for who they are, their personality types, in terms of her just being like, it's not going to crack. And then they lay down together and he's, you know, been afraid to come out. And he was like, I I think I heard a crack. And she starts laughing at him. And then the camera pulls back and there's a crack (laughs) right next to them, which I didn't notice last time. Yeah. I thought that was great. Well, it's just a wonderful metaphor for relationships in general. Yeah. Like, you know, we're always on this ice, you know, and you right. think, you think it's secure, but you never know, you know, it's not subtle, but it's really effective. I really like how they took that, that image and carried it over to the, um, titles themselves, like the, the actual credits in the opening, the opening titles. Um, they don't just come in and fade away, which would also be perfectly appropriate for, for what, for memory, memories mm-hmm. getting erased, but they actually crack up and then fade away. Oh. Like they like broke up a little bit like ice and then, and then melted away. That's so cool that you really noticed great. that. Yeah. I really, I like how they, they dissolved the memories, like when they when things were disappearing mm-hmm. in certain moments. I, I love, I think I really love the like kind of more like dreamy sci-fi um, like visuals that they had. Mm-hmm. I thought was really cool. Yeah. My favorite, I think was the, uh, all the stuff they did with the faces. Like yeah. when suddenly there's no face yeah. on Tom Wilkinson and Jim Carrey, but, uh, and, and then, but then also the, my two favorites are the two Elijah Wood things. There's one where he's, mm-hmm. his back is to him and he sees the back of his head and he turns him around and still the back of his head. And yes. then, um, and then there's a moment that, that scared me so much the first time I saw it when, um, they, when they replay the, first time he see, he meets Elijah Wood and he's bent down to pick stuff up and, the, and then when he's in the he memories like and his eyes down. are upside down. Yes. yes. It's so, yeah. it's like a subtle and quick thing or it's not subtle. I mean, it's not a huge, it's just flipping his eyes upside down. It's not like there's no face, but there's something so scary about it. Um, your, your brain is triggered. You're like, there is something seriously wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Gondry just has this knack for just, imagery that does feel like dream imagery and the things that just unsettle us in very subtle ways. Yeah. Uh, I will, when we post this episode, post, uh, tweet some of the links to my favorite Michelle Gondry videos because he had a long career as a music video director before this. And, uh, somebody who just puts so much inventive thought into every single one uh, he did. And there, there are some that are just mind blowing of uh, how can you think of that? Uh, are, are there any that come to mind for you? My favorite is the, um, the Bjork video where she, uh, where she writes a, she writes a book and it gets adapted into a, into a play and then get turns, turned into a movie. Yes. And as they're watching the layers of the, um, of the different versions of it and the different adaptations of it get kind of, uh, more and more character like that, that, that video is, I think maybe my favorite music video ever. Oh, wow. It's amazing. Yeah. And it's kind of similar to Synecdoche, New York, yeah. because then there are actors, like there's the, the publisher and the actor playing the publisher and it goes into layers and layers yeah. of that. Yeah. It's, it's so great. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but he doesn't do a lot of special effects effects computer wise right he does right a lot there's of very little computer animation practical? or anything they're practical effects or in-camera effects most of the time so uh, things like the scene where the fence is disappearing is literally just doing a bunch of shots and removing portions yeah. of the fence so like so that's cool. not that's not done in post there's a whole white stripes video for uh i think hardest button to button that he mm-hmm. shot like that uh as well 
and uh, things like there, there's a scene where there's a, a past memory uh, with Clementine and Barnes and Noble, and then he walks into the apartment of his friends, oh, David Cross and Jane oh, Adams. So and cool. That's just a practical set, folks. They yeah. build a Barnes and Noble set that was adjacent to an to an apartment set, and he's just literally walking into the next set. But it appears like a magic trick to us. And I think at that time we don't yet know that the memories are getting erased, and instead of things disappearing, it's just the lights in the Barnes and Noble turn off yes. in order, at, you know, from behind him and. There's something so beautiful. And just that is really arresting. But then they end that, uh, you know, as he's walking towards the camera, it ends with him coming through the door and back in the house. There's something, and it just feels, that's, I think, the first moment where you realize how visually deep this movie is going to be. And there's another scene where, uh, when he's flashing back to his sessions at his first session at Lacuna, uh, with Tom Wilkinson, where they're beginning to register his memories, but then also Joel, uh, within the memories kind of addressing Tom Wilkinson. So there's two different versions that Jim Carrey is playing and they shot that as one scene literally with Jim Carrey changing wardrobe and running around oh, wow. the, the room. <laughs> so again, you could do it with, uh, post, uh, computer effects, or you could literally have the actor just walking back and forth. That's uh, and I think probably there's another scene where he's, be- it's beginning to dawn on him that something is wrong in these memories. And there's a thing of Clementine walking away from him after wrecking yeah. his car. And you keep seeing her walking in different directions. I think that's another practical effect where they would just pan back and forth and Kate Winslet would run around and walk the other way. Uh, when they set up the shot again. So it's, it's amazing. That one kind of reminded me of his video for, uh, for Kylie Minogue. It's not really the same kind of setup, but that yes. where she's just going around and around. And every time she's there's big. another Kylie Minogue that gets added. Yes. And, and, and other things in the background kind of like duplicate and triplicate. Uh, yeah. Um, and well, you know the Chibo Matto video, uh, Sugar of the, Water. Oh, with the, the split screen? Yes. Is that, yeah. It's a split screen video where, uh, one shot is in reverse, the other is forward, and then halfway through they switch, and that it was all shot as one continuous take by two different cameras that he linked up, and he meant it as a visual palindrome. That was his idea for it. One more Gondry video, and <laughs> I'll stop talking about it, but I will tweet out all of these. He just did one for the White Stripes when Jack White put out his uh, acoustic album. There was an old White Stripes track uh, that had not gotten on an album, and he kind of surreptitiously made a video for it without telling uh, Jack uh, and Meg White that he was going to do it. And it literally is just Michelle Gondry in his shower uh painting with his finger in the condensation on the side of his shower. And then eventually, you know, the steam erases the previous picture as he's drawing the new one. And he's just drawing images, imagery that matches the lyrics oh, of wow. the song. And then he sent to Jack, to Jack White. And he's like, yeah, put that out as a video. Oh my gosh. Uh, but you, you can get a sense of how inventive this guy is. And it, again, it's just one take and his his drawings with his finger are so good and so inventive. I, th- I think the man is a genius. Uh, let's talk about the music while we're on a music track. Uh, so John Bryan, the composer for this movie, who had done uh, multiple Paul Thomas Anderson scores for Magnolia and uh, Heart Eight and uh, Punch Truck Love, the aforementioned movie. He's also done... I Heart Huckabees, and uh, I believe another score for Gondry, but uh, he's a very well-known musician and producer here in L.A. Uh, as a composer yourself, Rishi, tell me a little bit about what John Bryan's doing with this score. Breaking my heart. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one. 
um, that the, the phone call theme in, in here, uh, it's called phone call on the, on the soundtrack, um, is, I love that piece of music. And, um, and he produced the, the Beck cover, um, and the string arrangements in, in both of those are so beautiful. And so, uh, um, they tie in so well with the, the feeling of the movie, um, just the strings alone. I remember really thinking about the, the strings in that Beck song around uh, in 2007, I made a record, um, and the, and all the string arrangements that I wrote for that, I was trying to replicate, uh, sort of John Bryan strings from this movie. Wow. Um, yeah, that's, and that, that phone call, that's that sort of like, that little guitar, high guitar part that happens comes in, comes in and out. There's also a really nice thing that they do with the, Beck song where um after they after the opening titles we don't know what's happening but Jim Carrey's crying and um and that song is he's listening to the song in his car and then he t- he ejects yeah. the tape and he drops it out the window um and we don't even hear the whole song and then later when when m- memories are getting erased and we're in the, like the deep chaos of uh of his mind that song comes back mm-hmm. but it's like got this like crazy tremolo effect so you can't actually hear it all the way through they're like gaps in yeah. the song it's really neat and john brian uses a lot of like uh mellotron right and chamberlain are am i are, are those correct they're, they're like old keyboards mm-hmm. that are like analog recordings yeah you can really hear the mellotron in the punch drunk love soundtrack right uh because it, it's it's supposed to mirror like the pipe organ that he, or the harmonium is that what it is that uh that gets delivered yeah exactly on uh at, mysteriously at adam sandler's uh office mm-hmm. yeah i also really like um uh the the different so yeah so he's got like this great score for when the memories are going away and but then he also has um when they're falling in love and we get to see them for the first time uh like falling in love it all of a sudden the the score completely changes and it's like very romantic uh and i thought that that was cool because it it is so different from anything you've heard up until that point and it's probably three-fourths away into the movie yeah uh and it's but it's so effective because it's like oh we're supposed to appreciate them falling in love right now it's a nice guide into the changes of the emotion of the story yeah, a lot of like distinctly different moods all throughout. There was another theme that he wrote when we started to see Joel's like childhood, uh, memories mm. of him as a little kid. Uh, that's very much like a sad piano, almost sounds like an early eighties classic rock, like journey kind of vibe, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, that, that he's writing there. Oh, uh, he just turned on the light in here. Did I ruin the mood? And it, no, it's great. It felt very effective. Uh, like, like we were, uh, yeah, it was the right choice at the right time. Scoring the mood yeah. with the light. Well, another thing that Gondry does, uh, that I love in the memories is that it starts to get washed out of like the light starts to get harsher, mm-hmm. you know, as the memory starts to fade away every time. And that, that's such an effective technique. And when he's the most aware of what's going on and trying to escape it, there's like this spotlight on him. Right. Yeah. yeah. I love that part. I thought that was so, such a great, and like beautiful and like simple way of doing that. Yeah. Where it's like you can kind of, you see the sort of like, I don't know. It was just, it was great. It was such a, I love it. The, yeah. the like penumbra, as they're chasing, they're like just trying to get yeah. out of the edge of it. And yeah, that spotlight like it seemed follows. like something it would be more like in a play or something. But mm-hmm. I love that they did it for like for a movie. Yeah, 
and uh, people disappearing in Grand Central Station as they're kind of running, you yeah. know, uh, from left to right, uh, within that shot. Uh, and things like the, the bed alone on the beach or him being left alone in the restaurant when we saw a full restaurant with them on the date mm-hmm. before. Oh. There's one scene after he loses her for the last time and he's in the car with David Cross and what's her name? Jane Adams. Jane Adams. And they're driving back and the whole back seat is just covered in sand. Yes. And he's just sitting in sand in the back seat. And as they're driving back, they're kind of, they're driving uh, I guess down, you know, the Long Island expressway probably, but it's just, they're literally driving past all the memories of him and Clementine, which is. Oh, I didn't even see that. It's beautiful. I, I yeah. really think that there are so many things that you could just <laughs> yes. not see even yeah. having seen this movie multiple times. Um, oh, there was one other thing about the music that I wanted to, to say, or about the soundtrack. Yes. Cause, cause uh, in addition to owning the DVD, I also owned the CD of the soundtrack. There's, um, in, in the first scene when they're at, um, the first time that he's at Kate Winslet's house, at Clementine's house, she's playing, she's like playing all this Bollywood music in the background that, that, uh, right, I, I noticed that, yeah. yeah. Um, there's two songs by Lata Mangeshkar that they play and one song by Momoth Ruffy. And they, and on the soundtrack, they pick that, like, one of the Lata Mangeshkar songs is on there, but it is my, by far my least favorite of the three. Like, I love the other two songs <laughs> oh. that they, um, that they, that she plays. She's playing, she has playing in her apartment, but then the one that's actually on the CD, I was like, oh, that's, that's the wrong choice. <laughs> Darn it. Uh, well, let's go chronologically through the movie with a little segment that we like to call Carla's Quotes. She's feeling her oats and Craig's taking notes. Whatever they are, it's Carla's Quotes. It's my favorite part. I will say that I Carla... I say anything. Carla was, I think, wrapped up in this movie. I think I was, yeah. I was afraid that we were maybe hindering the Carla's quotes. Maybe a little bit. I just... I don't want to get too self-conscious about it. It if happened, I, too, when we watched Pulp Fiction with an audience as yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... Because it is not funny if I'm, like, trying to do it. You know what I mean? Don't force it. Don't force it, Carla. Just be you. We're very quiet movie watchers, too. <laughs> I didn't want to mess it up. I think we all just got wrapped up into the majesty. I was really... Yeah, movie. I was really yeah. into this film in a way that I'm usually not with the movies on your list. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right away when the John Bryan scores started at the top of the movie, Carlos said, sad music. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a great way to be like, this is a depressed guy without any dialogue, which I guess is the point of a good composer. Then there was a long sequence where Carla was loudly unwrapping her candy. <laughs> <laughs> And it felt like sitting next to an 80-year-old lady at, uh, at a play. I kept apologizing, though. I kept saying, I'm really sorry. It's so loud. Why is that a thing where uh, as, soon, as soon as any play, live performance starts, all the, uh, all the senior citizens have hard candy that they're unwrapping? You should ask a senior citizen. All right. I will. <laughs> <laughs> when, we first see, when we first see Clementine, uh, Carla's like, who is that? <laughs> Why did I say that? I don't know. I think just because you knew what was coming. Oh. You, knew, you know what's going on. You're, oh, because they make her... She's like in a, in the distance, like blurry. And yeah. And he's like, hi. With distinctive whatever. blue hair, though. Yeah. And it's Kate Winslet, and you're like, of, of course, you're immediately drawn into like, what's going on with this lady? Yeah. Yeah. She's so great. Uh, then Carlos... And, and we hear up top, we hear Joel's entries from his uh, journal. And Carlos like, do guys really journal? Adult men. <laughs> and then... <laughs> and then Rishi admitted, yes, he does. And, I, I wouldn't uh, say... I don't know if we can say... You have say, a journal. I, I have... 
a sketchbook <laughs> and uh and i write and i write things in it i love that nice. though i didn't mean to sound as patronizing <laughs> when i said that i just meant it like it's a real question because you so often see it portrayed as like a female thing mm. you know or like a teenage girl thing it's not really fair i am a little stupish about it and 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 Lindsay and i only call it a gurnal um <laughs> because of wet hot american summer and Paul Rudd's Gurnal. Yeah. Awesome. My yeah. Gurnal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love that scene. <laughs> uh, but after, after she said, yes, Carla said, because you're in touch with your emotions. <laughs> I knew that about you. <laughs> uh, Craig, have you ever journaled? Nope. <laughs> Not in touch with my emotions. I knew that about you, too. <laughs> I like when she goes through her different hair colors, uh, and she's kind of like pontificating of like, who comes up with those hair colors of like, that's somebody's job to come up with those names. Red Menace and Yellow Fever of two of the real ones. <laughs> and she comes up with Agent Orange. Uh, and they're just perfect for each other right away. Really? Uh, I don't think that was the point of the movie. <laughs> well, I don't know. Me already loving the movie and already loving their relationship. I mean, the actors have chemistry, certainly, mm-hmm. you know, but she is a little abrasive up top. And you're, she's crazy. Yeah, she's she crazy. Is, like, he seems so, like, I, I get why they would connect. Like, he's, he needs someone to draw him out. And so mm-hmm. I see how they're like, they're sort of like a yin and yang match. Exactly. But yeah, yeah. at first I'm like, I wouldn't totally, in, in, the, in the first sequence when they meet on the train, I was like, I don't, I don't see why they get together. But then it comes back around at the end. Yeah. Cause I feel like they heighten her, like that personality, like that aspect of her when they're meeting for the second time. Mm-hmm. Then when they meet for the first time, I feel like she's like a little more like mellow. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's sort of like they, she already has that like intense, like, like feeling towards him because she like senses that she knows him already. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's maybe that's why she's like so manic. And she's also dealing with the feeling of like missing time. I- I'm guessing because when she calls Patrick and she's like screaming and crying, and she's like, I don't know why I'm crying. <laughs> and it's like, oh, she just had this major brain surgery, yes. <laughs> yeah. but she doesn't know. <laughs> Uh, that's, what, I noticed- that's what I'm going to say the next time that I'm like that. <laughs> I must have had a major brain surgery. I don't remember. Is that why I'm behaving this way? Uh, something I noticed just stylistically is that, you know, Michelle Gondry, who is kind of like a showy, you know, visually stunning director, but the fir- the pre-credit sequence is, you know, very documentary style, very low key, very handheld, you know, mm-hmm. which kind of sets you up later for the more dreamlike imagery because it's so jarring from the the tone that they set up he does a great job there too with different looks during the different parts of the timeline uh yeah uh or is that the cinematographer i didn't mean to interrupt you i'm gonna assume it's a a a collaboration between the the cinematographer and uh and michelle gondry um the scene where uh, they're on the train uh, and she punches him. Uh, Kate Winslet improvised that punch and uh, Jim Carrey was not expecting it. Oh, uh, and then in that moment, Carla kicked me. <laughs> so she improvised a little kick. I will also post a link to Roger Ebert's Great Movies uh, review of this, which I think he has some incisive and interesting things to say, as Roger always did. <laughs> um, one thing that I kind of liked is that uh, Jane Adams. And David Cross play his uh, his friends, the couple that he hangs out with. They're very bickery too. Yeah, which I kind of like that example of just like here's clearly like a long time married couple uh, who are always kind of like at each other's throats. You know, right? This is what this is what a successful relationship actually looks like. Right? Yeah, 
Exactly. Maybe. They worked out something. Yeah. Um, and uh, apparently they improvised a lot of their stuff, as did Elijah Wood and Mark Ruffalo uh, improvised a lot of their dialogue, too. But her character's name is Carrie, and uh, she's kind of being mothering to Joel's character. And uh, David Cross is like, she's not Mama Carrie's kid. <laughs> but, of course, it's Jim Carrey, who is Mama Carrie's kid. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I don't know if that was intentional, <laughs> but funny. I enjoyed that. <laughs> There's also a, a nice pun that I uh, caught this time when... At the very end, they're in the, the house in Long Island, uh, and it's crum- literally crumbling around them. Uh, she says, I'm Ruth- ruthless. Ruthless, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is maybe a little on the nose, but I enjoy it. But, and, and, but then that's also a reference to the, the people who actually live there. Right. Is Ruth one of the... Yeah, yes. that's the lady who lives there. Nice. Yeah, she, sa- she says, I'm going tur- to slip into something a little more Ruth. Like yeah. she's going to put on something that's from right. this woman's yeah. thing, yeah. and then she's like... I'm ruthless. And as she says, I'm ruthless. So she's tying to, she's already making a joke on one thing about yeah. this woman's name. And then as they do that, the roof actually crumbles. So crazy. I'll give Charlie Kaufman the credit for that. And the cinematographer. Uh, <laughs> I think. He was just there name? and he suggested the, uh, the pun. But you don't know his name. <laughs> the scene where Jim, right after the credits where Jim Carrey's crying in his car, Carla's like, I've done that before. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Too many times. Your car is the best place to cry besides the shower. <laughs> I've decided. Top five places to cry. Uh, car. Uh, shower. <laughs> uh, Public. <laughs> bar. <laughs> sure. In the rain. In the rain. In the rain. Uh, bathroom at the bar. <laughs> <laughs> when we see the office of Lacuna and we see uh, everybody in the waiting room and there is a, a lady with a dog bowl that says Buster on it and all these dog Aww. toys and everything. And Carla got so sad by it. She's like, Buster. Oh. <laughs> and then you said, we'll do that with Benny. Yeah. No, I never want to forget our dog. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel like there's another movie there with Buster and that lady. Yeah. A whole other story. <laughs> and in the, those iTunes suggestions of all the movies, one of them was Clockwork Orange. And I'm like, Clockwork Orange, which uh, I guess I kind of get. But then there is like a brief scene, which is, uh, I think it's a deliberate Clockwork Orange homage because you see an old lady like watching these films with her eyes kind of wide yeah. open. And it, it, it is kind of a direct reference to that. Uh, I love the Tom Wilkerson line. Technically speaking, the procedure is brain damage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's such a good actor, too. The cast in the movie is really crazy mm-hmm. I, and it also feels a little bit like um like we kind of got the chance to see i mean i don't think that you could put all these people in the same movie anymore because it would just be too expensive right but the fact that we got to see uh see elijah wood and mark ruffalo and kirsten dunst and tom Wilk- like all of them all in one place and they and the four of them are not the stars yeah it's crazy i thought that too i do remember when this came out though Thinking, like being really impressed with Kirsten Dunst taking this part because Spider-Man had just come out or mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, she must really be wanting to, you know, break out of that ingenue thing. And Elijah Wood breaking oh, yeah, out Lord of the Frodo thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because this would be right after Lord of the Rings for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, little name dropping just worked with Kirsten Dunst two days ago on <laughs> Drunk History and she was delightful. <laughs> Awesome. And so good. And Carla came to visit me on set that I day did. and got to see Ms. Dunn's I was really impressed. Work. She's great. She's very good. Maybe she'll listen and, and know that we liked her a lot. Kirst, if you're listening, we loved your work in don't, this movie. Don't call her Kirst. <laughs> <laughs> That's not her name. 
That's not it. The uh in one of his memories, there's a thing where he uh, does a fake slash throat on the floor. Oh, the Harold and Mod? Yeah. Reference. It's a Harold and Mod oh, homage. Yeah, no. yeah. Uh, but it doesn't, this is their dark time in their relationship. She doesn't even care. And Carla's like, oh, like it was the most romantic thing in the world. <laughs> I didn't even know it was a Harold and Mod reference. <laughs> I've never seen that movie. Um, because he's always faking suicide. Yeah. The, I got that. Movie. Is Harold and Mod on the list? It is not on the list. What? Yeah. Aww. It's a lot of people's favorites, and it's a huge cult classic. I may have come to it too late. Mm-hmm. I think maybe it had been too blown up for me uh, a bit. I I liked it, but it didn't ha- hit me in that special did you in see that? place in your I heart. I did, yeah. Actually, I saw it for the first time in my adult, like, I think in my late 20s. But we saw it. It was like a very special L.A. experience Aww. where it was... At the Academy. Yeah, at the Academy. And there was like a Q&A afterwards with like the actors and... Yeah, Bud Court Bud spoke. Court. Yeah. Bud Court cool. spoke. And, and, um, and then uh, Cat Stevens, um, no longer called Cat Stevens, but he he performed five what? of the songs. Yeah, from he the did? Crazy. Wow. Yeah. That's and amazing. There was, but there was like a uh, round table. There was like a little panel discussion after Bud Court spoke with... Um, Cameron Crowe, Seth Rogen, um, Diablo Cody, yeah. and, uh, um, and, and, uh, what's his name? Um, Hal, I mean, uh, Harold Wexler, who shot the movie. Oh, wow. All these people, um, spoke about, you know, Harold Wexler talked about the experience of making the movie. Haskell, Haskell Wexler? Haskell Wexler. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. sorry. Yeah, Haskell Wexler, um, and. And Harold and Maude. Right. <laughs> that sounds um, amazing. It was, yeah, it was incredible. It was five dollars. What? <laughs> to get it in and uh and so we had like we went with like twelve people. Yeah. And um it was one of the most incredible movie going experiences we've had. That is yeah. one of those so crazy like, o- only in LA things. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, where am I living? And like how can I not love this movie? It was yeah. like right after Superbad came out and Seth Rogan was on the panel because he was like when we were when he he and Evan Goldberg were were writing super bad and they didn't know exactly how to do it or something like that, I think Jed Apatow was like, "Go watch Harold and Maude. and and right? Isn't that right? Yeah, I think yeah, that was you would remember. Anyway, <laughs> pretty sure that was one of the. Uh, well, Carla, if you've never seen it, maybe uh, maybe I'm due to give that movie another chance. All right. Okay. <laughs> uh, you also said our fight seems so mild now after watching this movie. <laughs> <laughs> we really don't fight that much. Not in the way that they do. No. How about you guys? <laughs> I feel like I'm. We should, I should just stay quiet about. It. <laughs> I do. I do. Um, one of the, one of my favorite lines from this movie, and one that I um, invoke a lot when Lindsay and I are out on dates, is um, is, is like if we're at a restaurant and we have too long of a pause before be, before we say anything to one another, or in between saying things, I ask her, "Have we become? Are we members of the of the dining dead? The dining oh, dead. Yeah, yeah. that's the dining great. Dead. Yeah." And she's like, no, we're just quiet. Yeah. Lizzie's <laughs> like, no, I'm just an introvert. <laughs> we're just observing. I, we don't have it that often, but sometimes it's like when you say that, I'm like, oh, you're ruining this nice quiet moment. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm saying something to just end the crushing anxiety exactly. that I'm feeling yeah. in the silence. I think some of our quietest times are those moments where we're waiting for our food. Because, yeah, I think we both like let our blood sugar like dip too low. And I think 
like we both get anxiety about the service too. Of just like where we ordered twenty minutes ago. Where I, how long does it take to make soup? You know, like, but we don't really like complain about it. We just kind of like sit there in silence, and yeah. then once the food is there, then everything's like back to normal. Right. But yeah. Uh, that scene where they're in bed together and she's talking to him and asking him to tell her his feelings, and he's like, "We don't. You don't have to talk all the time." I oh. felt so. Like that was us. Yeah. That scene. <laughs> that talking, that communication isn't the same thing as talking incessantly. Yes. Oh, what a great line. So good. I feel like that's me talking your ear off. <laughs> Even right now, he's like kind of paying attention. I'm paying attention. <laughs> I felt like I felt the same way about me and Lindsay. I was like, oh, that's me. And <laughs> that's what Lindsay's saying. Like, you don't have to yang. Yeah. It works. That's a pretty cutting line to say. It's to so, there are a few really yeah. cutting lines. In the movie, yeah. like some really sharp insults, yeah, or or just hurtful things, yeah. yeah. He doesn't mean it that way, but I was like, oh man, you're you're in trouble now. Yeah, it's yeah. a really mean thing to say. Some other practical effects: the when uh, when we see Joel as a little boy underneath the table, that's all forced perspective yeah. or, right. or or giant sets. So it's similar to what they did of Lord of the Rings <laughs> of creating the, the giants and the hobbits, and, yeah, and everything, and that that's so well done as well. It is really well done, but you can tell. But in a cool way, not in a way where it feels, uh, what's the word? It's not seamless. Yeah, but it feels like it feels like DIY or something. Like sure, charming. Yeah, that you can tell that they've just set Jim Carrey back further. Yeah, and put Kate Winslet way in the front of the, whatever. And then, am I right that the color of her dress changed when we went back to it? Uh, because he's kind of placed her in the memory of his neighbor, right? Mm. Who came over and I, I feel like she was in a purple dress the first time and a black dress the second time. But because they're memories, uh, then they can have a field day with continuity. Yeah. Because nothing needs to be continuous, uh, there. And I think that's a deliberate choice to make the, the memories fuzzy. Or so they'll say. <laughs> I was thinking about how many, how many, movies and tv shows owe a huge debt to this movie mm. i was thinking um i was i was thinking legion could not probably exist without this movie mm. like yes i loved legion by the way but yeah, yeah. and didn't it feel so much like that yeah. th- there's so many moves in this movie that that i feel like when legion's exploring that same kind of you know psychological space that are kind of um this kind of set the template for a lot of those there's a lot of stuff by that those uh the daniels um, who made, um, who made Swiss Army Man, and they've done a bunch of music videos as well. Um, a lot of things where they did, like, um, match on action kind of cuts, where, like, Jim Carrey will be sitting in one scene, and then he ends up in a chair in a memory. So, or, you know, like, where, and, and that kind of, um, editing style, um, and making it, you know, going from one imaginary space to another imaginary space. That's like a big Daniels thing. Mm. I have to say that Swiss Army Man, the the trailer for it just rubbed me the wrong way, and I thought it looked like really like uh, cutesy, quirky, and then so many people have talked it up to me since then that I, I feel like I, I should watch it. Did you see it? I'm not. Did you guys see it? We mm-hmm. did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, Thanks. you should see it just for the out. If for nothing else, other than the outrageousness of the movie, yeah, um, it's worth seeing. Even if you don't end up liking it, it's worth seeing. Enough people that I respect have talked it up to me. So uh, I am due to watch Swiss Army Man once we finish these hundred movies, Carl. <laughs> uh, 
yeah, one final Carlos quote at the end uh, on Mark Ruffalo. His hair is insane. <laughs> it was the Ryan Seacrest thing. It yeah. was really like a bird's nest. <laughs> it was. Yeah. yeah. It, the guys used to wear their hair up like that in the 2004s. <laughs> oh, yeah. Back in the day. <laughs> he looked kind of like the fifth the imaginary fifth member of Weezer. Yes. <laughs> yes. The fifth Weezer. The fifth Weezer. <laughs> um, do we know what Joel does for a living? No, they never. We never see. He. We know he commutes to New York. Yes, but I thought it was really nice he that he calls into work. Yeah, I. I really love when he calls into to work that he has to repeat his name. He <laughs> yes. says it's Joel, oh, yeah. and he says, "No, Joel." <laughs> oh. Um, like he's really not. It just gives you this. Uh, like with just those two lines, mm-hmm. you get this little insight as to how. Um, important his job is or, or how important he is to his job. It's some sort of soul sucking day job. Yeah. Yeah. And I, li- I like that this movie like doesn't feel the need to, to show us that. Like it doesn't matter in yeah. some way, you know? Interesting that he later says, um, when she is listening to him listen to the tape, how she's not a book girl. Like he couldn't really talk to her about books. She's more of a magazine person, but she works, she works at Barnes and Noble. That's so funny. And the, the Elijah Wood character is the guy who works for Lacuna. So he has all the information about Clementine and her past and her memories. And he's basically trying to impersonate Joel by doing the things and saying the things. But it doesn't work for her. So on a surfacey level, but they don't have that that connection. Yeah. You know? Th- that's what I love about this movie. I, I, and I think what you you know you said oh they're perfect for each other and you're like is that true is that actually the point right. isn't the point of the movie i think you were saying that the point of the movie is actually the opposite of that right i yeah i don't it's such an well and then the okay so the ending too right everybody you talk to has a different interpretation of what that ending is it feels like when i first saw it i thought that that meant that they weren't going to be together mm-hmm. but then today i was like oh they're going to get back together. <laughs> there, will you go into the same relationship knowing the outcome or the possible outcome? And will you take all the same risks and do all the same things? Is it worth it? Do you have that kind of connection with your soulmate? And I feel like they decide of like, yeah, let's do it again and see, see what, what happens. What do you think? Yeah. No, I, my takeaway was that they were going to get back together, but that they're like the, maybe it's like you, you've, I mean, I don't know how they, I would, they were, they're learning things along the way, mm-hmm. even though they don't remember it, but. Well, I think that what's so love, lovely about it is that you hear, usually it takes so long to get to that place of bitterness and have this like accumulation of hurt that makes you say these like awful things about somebody. Um, and, and both people are in that place and, uh, it's really hard to get out of it, but they start, they're starting their relationship, right? This V2 of their relationship, having heard this about one another and that coming from the person that they're supposed to be in love with. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and they start the, their relationship forgiving the other person for what they've already said. Like they've already forgiven each other for under, like for calling them out on these terrible qualities and, and forgiven each other for, um, for the qualities themselves, because he's like, he's even says, he's like, I actually love the thing about your hair, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, so they kind of, they, they do, they're not starting from the same place. They're not starting over. Um, they're starting with like, they, they have this kind of magic formula of being able to see the bitter version of the future and trying to like redo right, it. Right. Yeah. And know, and know that some of the things, the mean things you say, you don't mean, you know, mm-hmm. he was like, I know I really do love it, but it's like, he's so bitter that he's just saying 
mean things to say mean things. Mm-hmm. But then also the flip side of that, which is when you're first falling in for someone, like you don't notice those things. Yeah, right. And so that's what I mean when I, it doesn't feel like they're perfect for each other. It just feels like they, they're just falling in love again. And so they're going to be dismissive of this stuff that's problematic. Right. The infatuation. Yeah. The gloss of infatuation. Yeah. It's a deep ending, you know, and because it's so open to interpretation, I think the the romantic in me is hopeful. Yeah. uh, About it. There's so many, there are so many of my other favorite, like this is my, one of my favorite romances. The other, my other favorite romances, like my other favorite great love stories all have really sad endings. Um, Like I think, and I, but I also think of this movie along with those movies. Like I think of, um, in the mood for love. Mm. Um, I think there's something real, there's like a real kinship with this movie and, and that movie or like umbrellas of Cherbourg. Um, and also crouching, t- tr- uh, crouching dragon, crouching tiger, hidden crouching dragon. tiger, yeah. hidden dragon. Uh, I love it so much. I don't know the title. Um, where there's like this inevitability of, uh, to the love story and also like this fatalistic thing where it doesn't work out, but the, this is the great love of this person's life. Yeah. Yeah. And in this movie, it feels like that happens these guys are so in love with each other and you f- see it fall apart and then they get the chance to recognize that that happened. And then do they, are they going to take on the pain again? And so, and, and I love that they decided, I, I always thought that, yeah, they are, yeah. that they, they, they are going to try it again. And, um, and that is particularly like heartbreaking and, and lovely. Yeah. Oh. <sighs> uh, well, we always improvise a scene. <laughs> From, uh, from the movie, uh, or a scene inspired by the movie in some way. And I think, you know, we are 30 something, what, 38 episodes into this podcast. And Carla, you know, uh, you know, it, it's stressful, you know, having to do a weekly podcast sometimes and talk about <laughs> movies. And, and so Carla may want to erase. <laughs> Her memories of doing this podcast. Okay. Um, so I think we, uh, you've gone to Lacuna. You've, uh, you've decided <laughs> to reset to before we did this podcast. And, uh, uh, Rishi and Lindsay are the technicians. We may hear from them okay. a little bit. And so we're going into some of the, the past memories of, uh, of Craigslist. Wait. So are You're, you, who are you? I'm me. Or I'm your, this is, I'm going to be playing your memories of me. Oh my God. And, in a Kate Winslet sort of way where I'm just doing multiple levels. This is very complex. Okay, let me, uh, let me get a thing to put on your head here to okay. simulate your, simulate your. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Great. Perfect. Carla now has a symbol on her head. I'll hold it and just in case. I don't mean. A symbol. I mean, she literally has a symbol on her head, which is a symbol of sorts. Yeah, it's the, helping me the get into character. She's about to go. Okay. Um. Well, you said he wanted. He said he wanted to do a podcast, and I thought, well, we should spend more time together. Because uh, I've been working a lot, and he's been working a lot. Uh, but, but then he pulled out his list. And I don't know. I was like, oh, your fucking list? That's the podcast that you want to do? Um, am I, am I, is, is this right? <laughs> Doctor, are these the memories that you want? Um, yes, yes, that, that's fine. Please, please go ahead. So this one day we were like, uh, watching, um, 
Dances with Wolves. Carla, sit down and watch Dances with Wolves with me. It's going to be so fun. Craig, I I don't really feel like watching that movie. Kevin Costner creeps me out. And also, uh, do they dance with wolves? Well, the... uh uh, well, yeah, there, there is a uh, there is a scene where he, where a wolf is kind of nipping at his heels. It's like he's dancing, and then the, the Native Americans call him dancing you know, with wolves. It's I don't wonderful. know. You, you haven't hooked me with that, Lindsay. She seems kind of agitated. Should she be moving around this much? I think it's okay. They're always like this. All right. Um, she just keeps saying Costner over and over. Again. <laughs> Costner, Costner, Costner. That's what everyone says. <clears throat> Costner. Uh, so anyways, um, uh, look, Craig, did you put batteries into the zoom? Because yeah, uh, don't worry about it. <laughs> Come on. Oh no, wait, we lost the last half. Hour. Uh, we have to do we this did, over. Oh, no. Oh my God. We don't have any of this. I have a life to, to lead. That's okay. I can't I mean, be, you can be taping your class, podcast right? all the time. You're not taping it all the time. Just like an hour and 15 minutes every week. I mean, it's not a problem. <sighs> all right. Got that one. <laughs> Craig, I'm sorry. Don't leave. Craig, don't. No, it's it's fine, Carla. No, I understand. I mean, we do still have 62 episodes left, but we can erase the previous 38. No, I'm sorry. I love your list. I feel really bad. I don't know why I haven't been more open to it. Please don't go. Don't. Oh my God, the walls are falling. Meet me at the silent movie theater. <gasps> oh no, come back. I'll take you into. I'll take you into a different part of my brain. Let's go to the night my parents said they were getting divorced. <laughs> and she zapped. <laughs> See. Meta. So many levels, guys. You have to get a picture of me with a symbol on my head. Okay. It's, a, it's literally a high hat. Uh, so, Carla, what uh, do you want to give this movie a letter grade? A plus. A plus. It wow. It is fantastic, this film. Is this one of your favorites that we have done? Yeah. Clearly. I don't think you've given out many A pluses before. Yeah. What does that A plus stand for? Um, Friends really do make this experience better. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't start with an A, but that's fine. How about for you, Lindsay? Is this an A? Yeah, I would give this an A for sure. A plus for me. A plus. Yeah, this... 63 seems way too low for this movie. Again, it uh, it made its debut the last time I did the list, so it was a newcomer to the list. Uh, and also one of the more recent movies. I only have six movies from this century mm-hmm. on the list. And I don't believe there was a cell phone in this movie either. So I think uh, I think that uh, holds up that I do not have a single movie with a cell phone <laughs> anywhere on the list. And that's as it should be. Yeah, I think uh, when I redo the list, this movie will be moving way up. Uh, I was even more deeply affected by it this time around. Awesome. Uh, Rishi and Lindsay, anything to promote? Anything yeah. you guys want to talk about? Yeah, Lindsay, Lindsay makes amazing handbags, which I've touched <laughs> and smelled. They smell really nice, too. They're That's beautiful. True. I have I have a handbag line called Larson and Lund. And it's on Instagram. You can see all of her incredible pictures. Yes. And yeah. then you can order them. The website's larsonandlund.com. Thanks, Rishi. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I have uh, two podcasts of my own. That I make one's called Song Exploder and it's about music, and then one is about the West Wing, um, and where my co-host Josh Molina and I talk about every episode of the West Wing one by one. Um, and those are at Song Exploder. You can find them, Song Exploder and West Wing Weekly. Awesome, great. And Carla, uh, we are going to do the next episode just me and you. Okay. Are you uh, Are you cool with that? Yeah, I can't wait. 
Uh, you like a good courtroom drama. I'm gonna don't make you? Lindsay come back. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, pal, do you mind coming over? Oh, no reason. I'll make you dinner. <laughs> now, one of the few other movies you gave an A on my list was a Sydney Lumet courtroom drama, Twelve Angry Men. Yeah. This movie is also a Sydney Lumet courtroom drama. Okay. And it was uh, made in 1982, and it stars a few good men. <laughs> it's not a few good men. Uh, that was 1992, okay. and that's uh, Rob Reiner. Right, right, right. Okay. Um, this is. Uh, it stars Paul Newman in a Oscar-nominated performance as an alcoholic lawyer. Uh, trying to get one last big case in, and it's called The Verdict. Ooh, I've always you, wanted to see this. You've always wanted to see it? I've never seen it. You will get your opportunity next week, Carla. Yay! Uh, thanks, Rishi and Lindsay, so much for joining us. Thanks, thanks for thanks having so us. This was awesome. That was really fun. Thanks, Carla. As always, thank you, Michelle Gondry and Charlie Kaufman and Jim Carrey and Kay Winslet. And the from, cinematographer. And the cinematographer, <laughs> whose name we do not know, and John Bryan for making a beautiful movie that we all loved. And uh, Craig's listeners, I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we'll talk to you next week about The Verdict. We will deliver The Verdict. <laughs> <laughs> The list is an absolute good. The list is life. <laughs>